Got a great short conversation for you today, guys. I'm just back from London, met with my friend Asim Alhatra, cardiologist, crusader, and he was presenting at a press conference, GB News were there, etc. His new paper looking at the cost benefit of the mass medications for the uh, viral challenge. And I think you'll find it really interesting. Uh, we had a short conversation, we were time limited, but we kind of packed it in there with the data and the reality. And down below you'll see as well are his two published papers. They're both related, uh, peer reviewed in the Journal of Insulin Resistance. And they're quite a read for the layperson even. They're not all heavy dense science. Very approachable and fully referenced. So do enjoy those and please do share them and open up the conversation. And I think a lot more conversation is occurring now. So without further ado, myself and Dr. Asim Alhatra in London. I'm delighted to have been able to come over to London, which I like, uh, to the Emmanuel Centre and meet again with Dr. Azim Alhotra. Always great to see you. Absolutely. And you were here today for your press release of two new papers relating to the COVID, not general vaccines, the COVID vaccine and the data that's emerging. So I read them, they're fantastic. First one goes through the kind of cost benefit and all the vaccine related content. And the second one looks more at the problem in the system as to why we ended up with this kind of debacle. So maybe I'll let you go ahead the seam and yeah. just pick some of your key points. Yeah, thanks Ivor. I spent quite a few months on this. Mm. Um, and this is, comes from someone that traditionally uh, was one of the first to have two jabs of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine, was promoting it on Good Morning Britain or certainly tackling vaccine hesitancy. Partly because I didn't conceive of even the possibility, although I had some skepticism about the benefit, I didn't think it would cause any significant harm at all. And obviously information changed and evolved. Part of the reason that I went down this line of looking at this data more critically, which I cover in the paper, was because my father suffered an unexpected sudden cardiac death last year in July. And uh, his post-mortem findings never made sense to me. He had critical stenosis in his arteries. He was otherwise quite fit and well, probably one of the healthiest guys of his age in, in certainly in the Indian community. No family history of heart disease. And uh, as we've discussed before, his lifestyle in fact was anything, if anything was better in the few years since he had a calcium score, since he had, you know, a stress echo, everything just for tests which were great. So it didn't make sense he had two critical stenosis in the arteries. Also there was no heart attack and it was, sudden, it was all very bizarre. And then information started to come in which basically showed that the or suggested that the COVID mRNA vaccines increase coronary inflammation and uh, essentially increase heart attack risk. Then I started looking at national data. We've got an increase in out of hospital cardiac arrest in England, 2021 versus 2020, about 14,000. Um, data from Israel, an analysis published in Nature Report, suggested that you know there's an association of the vaccine with a 25% absolute increase in heart attacks and sudden cardiac death in 16 to 39 year olds, which is extraordinary, which was linked to the vaccine, but not linked to COVID. So the information for me was, was pretty compelling. And then I think the icing on the cake, if you like, in terms of the clear, obvious potential harms of the vaccine, which aren't being discussed, and I'll come into the province in a minute, um, was a paper published in Vaccine a few weeks ago, uh, which was a reanalysis of the original randomized control trial data from Moderna and Pfizer trials that led to the approval of the vaccine. And that found in the trial, one it suggested one may be more likely to suffer a serious adverse event from the vaccine in a, at a rate of one in 800 vaccinees. So life-changing disability hospitalization, for example, higher than being, the risk was higher of that than being hospitalized with COVID. So for me, it's a no-brainer. And then that's been replicated in real-world data in Norway, for example, where one in 926 
um, serious adverse events were reported through their yellow card scheme within two after two doses of the Pfizer vaccine. We know the biological, plausible biological mechanism of harm. So I put all of this together and my conclusions are very clear. Um, the vaccine needs to be paused pending an inquiry looking at the safety concerns. We know the absolute benefits from real-world data in preventing COVID death are very, very small. Certainly with Omicron, they're extremely small. We're talking about one in 7,300 over eight-year-olds potentially being benefited in preventing a COVID death. But, when, uh, but the other theme of the article was evidence-based medicine and informed consent. So telling patients this and helping them make a decision. And you and I know when patients are given information this way with those small numbers, most of them would choose not to take a drug or a vaccine. And certainly that's been my experience speaking to patients. And then the second part, was essentially looking into how we got it wrong, why we got it wrong, and what are the solutions moving forward. And, you know, uh, as you know, Ivor, in the last sort of 10 years, on three occasions through mainstream media with other eminent doctors, including Her Majesty the Queen's former personal physician, Sir Richard Thompson, I've, I've attempted on three, on three occasions through The Guardian, The Daily Mail, through a European Parliament um, uh, lecture I gave, to call for a public inquiry into excess drug deaths because prescribed medications are a big problem third most common cause of death after heart disease and cancer. This has been going for many years, it's a public health crisis. So for me, this was another opportunity to actually say, well, hold on, what are the system failures that allowed this problem to happen? And of course, ultimately, you've got too much unchecked power of big powerful corporations such as Big Pharma, who function in ways that are anti-human, they're profit-making machines, they, they in, in general, not specifically Pfizer, but we know there's a history of drug industry deceiving people for profit, causing unnecessary harm. Um, I, I talk about, you know, the, in a way, not people within them, but the institution as the big corporation itself functions like a psychopath. And that isn't my view. That's the view of the expert in psychopathy, Dr. Robert Hare, forensic psychologist, who I talk about in, the, in, in, in my talk, I mentioned in my lecture. And actually just getting people to understand that if you give unchecked power over many, many years to these entities that are anti-human in the way they approach health, what's going to happen to physical and mental health? Of the population it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work it out so moving forward what do we need to do well we need to completely make sure the regulator isn't funded by industry the regulator in the uk it gets 86 percent of its funding the mhra from industry we need to dissociate medical education from pharmaceutical industry sponsorship drug industry can can develop drugs but they absolutely no way in hell should any should be allowed to test them and then certainly hide the data it's a no-brainer it's a no-brainer as far as i'm concerned enough now. enough now Absolutely, and it was long overdue before this, but this kind of debacle is kind of an exemplar of the problem. And interestingly, I interviewed in May 2020 Professor Veda Stadler and immunology people, top people in Hungary and West Coast USA, and there was a general agreement, you know, this is a disease mostly affecting the very aged. Vaccines tend to not work so well in them because they're immunocompromised, and that's the only place they can give benefit. So they just couldn't really see any real change to the COVID scenario, even if the vaccines were quite successful and came out. And also they didn't expect an effect on transmission. So it's kind of fascinating now that over time, all of that emerged from the data from Israel and elsewhere, uh, but it was kind of suppressed. The lack of effect on transmission was dramatically suppressed all during 2021. Wasn't it? That's a huge point. The lack of helping with transmission meant mandates were absurd and unethical and criminal. And it meant the whole edifice was rotten if transmission was not being hammered. Ivy, you're absolutely right. And I think what it highlights is, again, this um, the corporate capture of public health, essentially. Because if that information was already available from independent experts, 
then it should have been openly discussed with the public. Certainly there was no indication for mandates or coercion. And if anything, at the very beginning, it should have just been, as we did in the discussion with lockdowns, focus on protecting the vulnerable. And vaccines could have been part of that armory. Um, we would have probably had better outcomes with less harm. And, uh, and that didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen, in my view, and I've written this in the paper, that the only real beneficiaries of mandates and mass vaccination program with something that was an emergency use authorization drug, where there's a potential smoking gun, that the vaccine when it was rolled out was likely to cause more harm than good for most people, um, is to serve the, uh, the profits of the, of the pharmaceutical industry. And, and, that's, and, and they have benefited immensely from it. You know, Pfizer have made $37 billion from this product, which in comparison to traditional vaccines, either, is of extremely poor efficacy and unprecedented harm. Think about that for a second. Just think about that. This is a, a symptom. You said this. Um, it, it's, it, the bubble needs to burst. The, the whole management of the pandemic, but also the management and the ongoing management of the way that the vaccine is being rolled out, um, is, is, is a symptom of our system failure. And it's time to rebuild and move forward and use this crisis of trust certainly as an opportunity to rebuild the system because all of us want to lead the best possible lives we can mentally and physically. And we're not being allowed to do that because a lot of people's health decisions are being um, you know, uh, made by entities that aren't actually interested in your health. Right, and I know we're tight on time here now, there's other events occurring shortly, but one other point I just might add to your excellent papers, and I will link them down below, they're a free view, so I can share them. Yeah. Uh, they really give a fantastic, kind of almost layman-like, and I know you strove for this, to not have them too you know, arcane and too heavy science. They're very readable, and they have all the references, and the logic is impeccable, but beyond pharma, the psychopathic organizations of pharma. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of peripherals now. There's many, many foundations who are literally bedfellows of pharma uh, relating to vaccines. There's the WHO, which even in 2009 was yeah. called out for corrupt, yeah. you know, profiteering type actions. And we've got WEF. There's a lot of parties now yeah. all in it together. So it's a tough battle we have. It is a tough battle, but the only way to solve it, Ivor, and there's something that you have propagated very well in terms of uh, uh, the concept, is root cause analysis. Even the mightiest tree, there's an Indian proverb, even the mightiest tree will fall if you cut it at the root. And that's why I've gone to the root of the problem. And you know, one of the reasons the system failures continue is that doctors aren't aware of these issues about the regulator being captured, for example, raw data being withheld, independent analysis not really happening. Um, so that's what we need to be focusing on. And if we do that, it's going to be tough, there's no doubt, but it's the only way forward because the, the alternative is to continue down this path of deviating from the truth any deviation from the truth when it comes to medical science is going to have suboptimal or potentially harmful consequences for patients and individuals. So we've got a choice to make. Are we going to continue heading towards oblivion or should we start changing track towards utopia? And I know which one I'm going to fight for. Yeah, and in my own small way, same here, and all the great doctors, Dr. Ryan Cole and Malone, and I won't name them, myriad doctors and organizations fighting back, going for the root of that uh, kind of corrupt tree. Great stuff, Asim. All right, have a great see you. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Well, a lot more to follow on this topic, that's for sure. And as I say, the papers are linked down below, but please do share them because they're very readable by a lay audience and they really pull together the data. I think they kind of are careful and they understate things, but they're still excellent resources. So thanks so much to my supporters and Patreon, PayPal, and to date and anyone who can continue to support to help me to get over to London or to get to Portugal at the end of October for a conference, continue to analyze, continue to get the data interpreted in a balanced, uh, non-biased way, unlike the corporate media, uh, and get the data out there to help people and to help population health, because that's what I've been pretty much at for 10 years now, always on a journey to improve our population health, our freedoms, uh, the stability of our democracy even at this stage. So thanks so much and the links are down below and till next time folks.